Ahead, back and forth with Pacioretty. Now Stevenson kicks it in. It will count. Live from the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at LVSportsNetwork.com. From the draw, Nicholas Haig rifles it home. One-time shot from Haig. Vegas ties it 3-3. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Your destination for inside access with the team, exclusive player interviews, and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Welcome in Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman, live inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios. Finley Chevrolet on the 215, home of the... Darren Millard on location today, on assignment today. We'll not hear from Darren Millard on the program today, but fear not, he will be back with us tomorrow when the Golden Knights are set to take on the Detroit Red Wings from T-Mobile Arena. That'll be a 7 o'clock game. So we got the insider show from 4 to 6, pregame show with me at 6 o'clock, and then right into the Golden Knights game as, as Vegas looks to get back in the win column after dropping last night's game to the Carolina Hurricanes. 4-2 to two the final score. Carolina really pulled away there in the third period from the Vegas Golden Knights, and, and it was workmanlike from the Carolina Hurricanes, a team that is certainly healthier than the Golden Knights are and had more pieces to just kind of pull away. Now, before we get to... Uh, ben Goats. We're going to be bringing on Ben Goats here in uh, in hour number one to chat all things Golden Knights. A lot of the news surrounding COVID protocol. New player on COVID protocol for the Golden Knights. Uh, hour number two. We're we're going to get into our rating of last night's game. We're also going to take a look at the the Hockey Hall of Fame and who we think should be included in next year's uh, induction class because I've got some ideas I've got some thoughts I wonder where Chris Chapman falls on that too Uh, and we're also going to take a look at the Pacific Division we're a week away just about a week away from Thanksgiving and that is traditionally a a barometer for where teams are going to finish as in terms of the playoffs so I want to look at the Pacific Division I want to take a deep dive on the Pacific Division a week out from Thanksgiving and determine which teams are for real and which teams are not. So, Chris Chapman, before we get to Ben Goats, just kind of your initial impressions from last night's game. Uh, well, my initial impression is Carolina puts a lot of shots on on goal, and I know that that's they're good. Not, yeah, they're they're a really good team. Um, you know, they're the kind of team where and I was thinking about it as, as I was sitting in the presser last night. Like, even if you're at full strength. This is a really tough team to beat, and this is a team that the Golden Knights have not had a ton of success against, even when when they're when they are fully healthy. Um, look, I I think Braden McNabb kind of summed it up. He said he said it was it was like a full court press, which is a term I I haven't heard in hockey. It's more of a basketball term, but that's that's kind of a, a really accurate portrayal of what the Carolina Hurricanes do. I mean they're. They're they're probably the best team I've seen this season at T-Mobile, and I don't know how many I'm going to see that I feel are better than them. When I walk away from that game, when I'm walking back to my car after the game, I I honestly don't know how many teams are going to say, you know what, those guys are better than the Carolina Hurricanes. I can probably say, pretty pretty emphatically, there's not more than a handful. Yeah, Carolina is interesting, right? Because they they have. A, a really interesting identity. This is a team, and I said it on the postgame show last night, 
that's incredibly talented. You look at Svechnikov and, and Aho and Tony D'Angelo on the back end, and, and you look at the pieces that they have in all the key positions uh, that you need in, in a hockey club, and they're supremely talented. But they work harder than everybody else. Like, that is a team that just goes to work. And you saw it in their forecheck. You saw it in, in their press up the ice and forcing the Golden Knights into passes and plays that they didn't want to make. And it led to some choppy play for the Golden Knights. And, you know, that's, that's an interesting identity to have when you know you're talented, when you know you can kind of rest on that talent a little bit. That's not what the Carolina Hurricanes do. They go out there and they work incredibly hard. This is a team that can grind you out. And you saw it based on how many shots they threw on goal. They had the puck seemingly all night. They were able to suppress a lot of what the Golden Knights were trying to do offensively. It started at their own blue line. They, they didn't allow zone entries all night last night for the Golden Knights. So uh, it, just a very, very solid, complete team in the Carolina Hurricanes, and you know, for the Golden Knights, going into the game last night, already undermanned, already in a position where, uh, you know, you're looking at the lineups and saying, well, you start to think about what it might look like if one day the Golden Knights get healthy and how they would match up against the Carolina Hurricanes, and and that's not the case right now for Vegas, as you know, you're dealing with injuries, and now you're dealing with COVID, and for a Golden Knights team that has had quite a bit of of you know trouble staying healthy injury wise uh this recent stretch now with covid where you've got will carrier in covid protocol jonathan marchiso in covid protocol and today it announced that michael amadio is in covid protocol uh, it's a tough stretch right now for the golden knights now chris just checking in do we have ben go oh no no, no i i i haven't called him yet but uh you know, I, I, I just wanted to add, and, and I know you know that I'm a huge fan of Sebastian Ajo. Yeah. He is so fun to watch live. Like, he, he's just so smooth, and he's quick. And that line of with, with him is, is just like, they're, I don't know if they get enough credit for how good they are, uh, but... You know, it, it was it was interesting because you mentioned about how they suffocate you. There was a shift last night where Riley Smith got caught out. I think they, the, the Golden Knights were in a line change, and he got caught out there with Paul Cotter and Brett Howden, and I believe it was Carolina's fourth line. They held the puck in the offensive zone for about two minutes. The Golden Knights could not gain control of the puck. They could not clear it. I mean, it's like it's phenomenal to watch this team and say, how are more people not talking about them as a legitimate contender to win the Stanley Cup? Yeah, I think it's interesting as as we we get Ben here on the phone uh, with Carolina. I want to say that the reason people aren't necessarily in that boat is because this has been a team that's been good over the last couple of seasons, but in in the playoffs when things should go right for them. They haven't been able to get over the hump. They're a lot like Colorado in that respect, where you know Carolina went pretty far when no one was expecting anything of them, but now they're in a position where uh, they're expected to to go deep in the playoffs, and it just hasn't really materialized. And the way that they've lost, it's been kind of a power outage of what the Hurricanes do incredibly well, and and the talent seems to dry up there in the playoffs. So for me, I, I look at you know, the Carolina Hurricanes in, in a lot of the same ways I look at, say, Colorado or, or Toronto in that, 
they've got to win in the playoffs. This is a team that is going to have to do some damage in the playoffs before I think teams are, are teams or writers or, or anyone is going to take them incredibly seriously. So that's kind of my read on, on why Carolina maybe doesn't get the press that, say, Florida does, which is ironic considering Florida hasn't done much in the playoffs either. Uh, but you're, you're absolutely spot on, Chris. This is a team that is incredibly incredibly deep and should be uh, held in a little bit higher regard than what we normally see. Now, to relieve some of the pain of not having Darren Millard on the show, we bring in the nicest man in sports media here in Vegas. That's Ben Goats with the Las Vegas Review Journal. Hey, Ben, how you doing, buddy? Not too bad. I never know how to react when people say that about me. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands right now as I'm sitting at my, my kitchen table, but I do really appreciate the intro. Well, like, how, I, I mean, I don't mean it as a slight or anything. Like, I think it's a compliment. Anytime you can be among uh, your peers, one of the nicest people, the nicest humans, um, I, I take that as a compliment. So that's how I mean it. That's how it comes ac- or should come across to you. I, I just think you're a generally good dude. So I, I, recognize, like, I recognize that it's a compliment. Like, logically, I just don't know how to accept compliments. Like, this has been, you know, an ongoing issue for the majority of, of my life. I'm working on it. But, you know, I just you know, I get all flustered, you know, probably. Luckily, it's the radio. People probably aren't seeing my cheeks getting red right now. Just all blushing and happy over taking compliments. It just throws me off my rhythm. So, Ben, like we've kind of discussed a little bit about last night's game in Carolina and just, just how talented this team is, but how hard they work. What was your key takeaway, not about Vegas, but about it, Carolina and watching them last night? The most enjoyable thing uh, for me watching Carolina was, one, just the depth of their lineup, um, and two, just the tempo that uh, they play with. It wasn't necessarily just completely a, you know, back-and-forth rush chances galore game like we saw when the Knights played Vancouver, but everything they did had pace. Even when they were in the offensive zone, um, kind of hemming the Knights in, you know, they had pace, and their um, defensemen would jump off of the blue line to disrupt exits and they would keep cycling the puck and everything just had um some oomph to it and then obviously i was really impressed by their forward depth as well because uh you know you look down at the lineup sheet that they had last night and uh yes very cop who was you know the number three overall pick not that long ago and of course they got an offer sheet uh from montreal who they obviously had to pay quite a bit to get him out of there both in terms of draft picks and the actual contract they gave him he was their fourth-line center, which I think just shows when they've got uh, a guy making over $6 million this year as your 4C. Uh, overall, their lineup is in a pretty good place, and they seem to keep finding these forwards to plug in and make themselves look even more dangerous. Obviously, last night, uh, Seth Jarvis, you know, the rookie 19-year-old, is the one that has a game-winning goal, and he looked right at home on their top line. So it's just very impressive to me how Carolina keeps finding guys to plug in um, to look even more dangerous in uh, the system. Like I said, just is fast and go, go, go. It's one of those things where I wish the kind of, you know, player and puck tracking technology was more public right now because I would love to see, you know, the miles, the Golden Knights skated compared to an average game for them because it just felt like there was so much skating that needed to go on 
in that game, both up and down a little bit for the Nathan Hurricanes, but a lot of chasing in the zone as well, specifically the defensive zone for the Knights. Yeah, Ben, it's it's funny that you mentioned Kotkaniemi because he is their fourth line center and he's making now now this will this will show you the team that the Golden Knights had on the ice last night. He his salary for this season is six point one million dollars. That's only a million and a half dollars less than what two and two thirds of the lines that the Golden Knights played last night. That's more than the entire bottom six of the Golden Knights. And when you add in Keegan Colasar and Nick Waugh, they they top that by a million and a half. But that that's just mind blowing when you look at the numbers. That includes Matthias Yanmark, who's making two million dollars. Yeah, it's been so impressive how they've constructed this team. Like I said, they've had so many exciting young players. I mean, Jarvis Aho is still very young. Sveshnikov is still very young. Uh, Nietzsche is still very young. And I thought he had just some spectacular uh, plays last game. The way they've assembled uh, that lineup is uh, very exciting, especially at forward. I think, obviously, with Dougie Hamilton leaving uh, for. New Jersey, I'm a little bit less excited about their blue line than I have been in the past. Their goaltending has actually been very, very surprisingly good so far this season. And I thought Auntie Ranta actually made a number of really crucial saves in the third period for the Hurricanes to maintain their lead and then also, you know, towards the end, maintain a two-goal lead to prevent the Knights from ever really kind of getting a sniff to get back in the game. I'm not sure those elements are necessarily going to hold up as the season gets deeper and especially when the postseason comes around. But I'll tell you what, if I had to make, you know, an NHL watchability rankings of just teams that when I'm, you know, <laughs> scrolling through ESPN plus on a random uh, Wednesday night, like tonight, Carolina would be very high on that list just because of the forwards they have. Ben goes with the Las Vegas review, no, review journal joining us here, uh, chatting a bit about last night's game and, and giving some praise to the Carolina Hurricanes, who I, I look at, at top to bottom. There are no holes in their game. And, you know, the, the thing that I said last night on the postgame show is that the, the most impressive thing to me about Carolina is that it's a, an incredibly talented team top-end skill, it's all there. They've got some really highly skilled players. But the backbone of what they do so well and why they are so successful is because they just work so hard. And, and you know, you you have those stretches in a game where, where you kind of have a lull. And when the Golden Knights were able to tie it in the second period, that's when Carolina really got to work and their output uh, was even better than it was in the first period. And in the first period, I thought they were really good. Yeah, and if you're the Golden Knights, I think that's something where uh, obviously they're in a special situation right now, but I think if I was Coach yeah. Pete I'd be clipping a lot of these clips from the Hurricanes game and showing my players, hey, this is what it needs to look like, guys, especially when we're shorthanded. This is the kind of energy that you need to play with to give you know, yourself a chance. I mean, obviously the Hurricanes, for all the work ethic they possess, are an incredibly talented team. I've already named, you know, so many of their kind of top end forwards that they have in the lineup. But what takes it over the top is, as you mentioned, the work ethic, the compete level, uh, the willingness to fight for loose pucks, keep pucks alive, um, have the defensemen pinch hard and forwards, you know, immediately replace so that you don't get caught in an odd man rush the other way if a puck happens to get turned over. It's really impressive to watch. And like I said, if you're the Knights. I think that can 100% be a teaching tape of, look, 
that team last night, as you know, we're currently constructed right now with all our injuries and absences, is way more talented than us. But they also, in a lot of ways, outworked us last night as well. If we can take that work ethic and apply it to our game in the near future here, I think they're going to be very competitive in a lot of hockey games. And I think that's something, if I was a, a nice player coach, I would definitely be walking away from last night thinking. So an optional uh, practice today for the Golden Knights and then media availability gets canceled shortly thereafter. The news breaks. Michael Amadio now in COVID protocol for the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, an, upda- an updated schedule. No morning skate tomorrow. No morning uh, pregame availability for the Vegas Golden Knights. So uh, a couple of questions, obviously, going into tomorrow night's game. One, the health and the status of Shea Theodore and Evgeny Dodonov. Theodore, of course, goes down labors to get off the ice, goes directly to the tunnel, falls down, hits his head on the boards, and then Dodonov takes a stick up high. So uh, just the the, the biggest question surrounding this club is what are they going to look like tomorrow? Because I don't think anyone has a legitimate idea of who is or isn't going to be available right now for the Golden Knights. No, and I'm not even sure if the Knights, you know, as of this moment, if we can give Kelly McCrimmon a truth serum, no either, because I'm sure – you know, when you have a forward go into the COVID protocols three days in a row, uh, William Carrier on Monday, Jonathan Marcheseau on Tuesday, and now Michael Amadio today, there obviously has to be concern of like, okay, are we are we at the end of the line here? Are we done? Or, you know, are we going to wake up tomorrow morning to more bad news? Now, obviously, the fact that the game as of right now is still on uh, the schedule certainly appears to be a positive I know my colleague uh, David Shane at the Review Journal emailed with NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, and uh, Daly said, you know, at this point he wouldn't characterize it as a significant concern. And uh, and I'm quoting: "There is no thought being given to currently disrupting the Vegas schedule going forward." So, like I said, right now it does appear that, based on the information we have right now, the game will be a go tomorrow. But obviously for the Knights, uh, they're scrambling right now. And I think, you know, evidence of that, of course, is the fact that uh, they're claiming guys like Adam Brooks off waivers just to make sure that they're going to be able to fill out a lineup card tomorrow against the Red Wings. So on on Adam Brooks, because it's interesting, as you mentioned, the the Golden Knights claimed Adam Brooks today off of waivers from the Montreal Canadiens. Adam Brooks is from Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba, Canada. Around a half a point a game in the AHL, 120 points in 72 games in junior one year with the Regina Pats, and in 22 NHL games, nine points, four goals, five assists. So nearly a half a point a game there too. Uh, in looking through some of some of the tape on Brooks, more of a direct player, he tries to get to the front of the net. Obviously, when you're when you're kind of in a depth role, that's where you need to make your living. But what can you tell us about Adam Brooks beyond just? This is a stretch where the Golden Knights need NHL players in their lineup. Yeah, well, I do think that's definitely part of it and can't be discounted. That the Knights, and they've been obviously here for quite some time, are in a position where they're just looking for bodies right now. But Adam Brooks, obviously, you know, 25 years old, kind of an undersized uh, center. But as you said, a guy who, you know, from what you can gather, does like to play a little bit of a direct game which I think uh, not only do the Knights like those guys in general, but I think Pete DeBoer generally does like those guys in kind of his bottom six roles that are kind of straight ahead, north, south, you know, don't necessarily get cute with it, um, and just forecheck as aggressively as they can. And obviously I think that's shown 
this year with some of the guys they've used were Jonas Ronbier, Fjord checks really well. Jake Decision has been a very responsible two-way kind of guy so far. So Adam Brooks, I can see kind of, you know, filling that mold of what they might look like for depth forward to kind of fill up the roster is not a guy that's going to totally wow you with his skill or flash or anything, but fills the role that they're going to need him to uh, potentially fill tomorrow, depending on the guys that they're going to be able to ice. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if he gets a look tomorrow. But ultimately, like I said, I do think this is just definitely a sign that this team is hunting for NHL bodies wherever they can right now. And Brooks is obviously a guy that's uh, played 22 NHL games in the past. He has nine points in those games, including four goals. So he's proven that he can do a job at the NHL level, and that's probably just exactly what the Knights are going to ask for him. You know, Ben, we look at this team and we understand the injuries. Like we've been talking about it all year, and and still in their last ten games, Golden Knights are seven and three. Like they've been able to put together a couple of of win streaks that have really allowed them to stay among the the playoff bubble in the Pacific Division in the Western Conference. And you know, as much as we want to talk about you know how how kind of catastrophic these injuries have been. It's been a building block opportunity for Pete DeBoer to to really coach maybe more than he's had to with the Vegas Golden Knights to this point because, you know, really in, in the regular season, the Golden Knights have been relatively healthy and haven't faced too much adversity. I look at this stretch as, as an important one for a contending team because you have to go through some difficult stretches to know how to react to difficult stretches. And for the Golden Knights, it's gotten difficult in the playoffs the last two years, and it's been a hard adjustment for a team that is used to just playing well and winning hockey games. Yeah, I think it's been an important stretch uh, for the Knights just to kind of show that their formula works no matter what. I mean, you look around the NHL, obviously they're not uh, world beaters by any means, but the Knights are doing fairly well with 18 points in 16 games. They're right on the Western Conference playoff bubble right now. And he looks compared to a team like Vancouver, who they had in the building on Saturday and has much fewer injury concerns than the Knights right now. And where those two organizations are, you know, is not even close. I think this time that the Knights have right now can be very important for, you know, building the confidence of guys that maybe ultimately improve their depth moving forward. I'm looking at a guy like Nick Waugh, who has this opportunity to be a first-line center right now and is playing with a lot of confidence, well, if he can keep that confidence when he inevitably gets bumped down the lineup when guys get healthy, that's only going to help the Knights moving forward. I mean, same with a guy like Chandler Stevenson. I mean, Chandler Stevenson, who I think obviously a lot of us have talked about, is kind of the perfect third wheel for Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. Well, now Chandler Stevenson knows that he can stand on his own two skates you know, pretty good as well, he's got 13 points in 13 games. It's the best start of his career. So all these guys gaining a measure of confidence that they can, you know, play up in the lineup if needed. Because we saw last postseason that the Knights are going to need guys to step up, even in the playoffs. You never know when and where injuries are going to hit you. I think it's going to be pretty crucial for them moving forward. I'm a believer that you know guys like Nick Hag stepping up to the first pair are going to be better off moving forward for the opportunities that they're receiving right now. And that can make the Knights the most more dangerous team when the playoffs ultimately come around. 
So, Ben, you look at this six-game homestand. We've got two more games on the homestand tomorrow against Detroit and then Saturday against Columbus. The Golden Knights are 3-1 and one currently. What do they need to do over the next two games to turn this, uh, this good start of the homestand into a great homestand? Honestly, I think if you're the Knights, you're very happy with one more win and end this six-game homestand with eight points. Obviously, if the Knights win both games, you're talking about an outstanding homestand. But with where they're at right now, with the amount of guys that keep coming out of the lineup, uh, I don't think, obviously, you can get too greedy. But like I said, if you get eight points out of six games, for this team where they're at right now, I think that's a big victory. It keeps you alive in the playoff hunt. It keeps you alive in the division race because I think it was – really easy to potentially look at the standings early on in the season and say like, Oh, Edmonton's just going to run away with this thing. And all of a sudden the Knights are within four points of the Oilers again. So if the Knights can just keep up a good pace, kind of keep things close. You have to ultimately think that when they get a bunch of guys back and the roster gets somewhat close to full health, they're going to be able to really start to pile up the points and they're not going to be chasing teams uh, from so far behind in the standings. So like I said, I think one and one ultimately would make the Knights and I would assume a lot of fans pretty happy. So Ben, I, I, I got you on the program. I, I, I made sure that, that we booked you for today. And then Chapman tells me that he's got some crazy bone to pick with you. I don't know what it is. I have no idea what Chapman's about to say. So I apologize in advance, uh, but go ahead, Chapman. You have the floor to to get mad at Ben or something. <laughs> it's it's actually really hard to get mad at Ben, but uh, <laughs> you, you know the, the the funny thing is, and I'll set it up. There were a couple of us at, at practice this morning. Um, ben, myself, Ken Bulky, and uh, David Shane, Ben's colleague over at the RJ, and we're waiting and waiting for for the Golden Knights to open up the the, the room for us to go in, and and somehow the topic of like chain restaurants comes up and you know i mean i think it was because i i my son's birthday is coming up and i had mentioned that i asked my son where he wanted to go for his birthday and he said texas day brazil and i'm like yeah remember that time you said i wasn't cool well that's why we're not going to texas day brazil anyway it comes up that ben is a fan of chilies i mean there's bad chain restaurants and then there's chilies bad chain restaurants like how dare you? whoa 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 whoa, whoa. <laughs> chapman that's that's not a good take buddy don't tell me you're a fan of Chili's too. Like I, I mean, it's not my first choice, but their their commercials and their jingles have been so so good that I, I think that <laughs> you have to put them in in a in a category like a subcategory all to their all to their own. Like, I, I I was not tempted to mention they're a part of television history with one of the greatest episodes of all time of The Office, The Dundies, added Chili's. <laughs> I feel God in this Chili's, says the great artist Pam Beasley, and I feel that in my soul every time I walk into one. I think, and I think it was it was uh, Ken Bolke who, who made the comment about, oh, it's time to go get a slice of my favorite New York pizza, Sparrow. <laughs> okay, that, that, that didn't land. Well, I'm not, I'm not an Office land. fan, so, so yeah, I'm, well, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. You should you should really lay off any office references if you're not an office fan because that did not land whatsoever. Well, what is it? A slice of my favorite New York style pizza, Sparrow. Yeah. 
Yeah, Ben, I'm sorry, buddy. I really am. <laughs> I stand by this. I'm very happy with my chili steak and my chili's love. Like what's, I said, me and Pam Beasley, same wavelength. And I think that's a comfortable place to be. What's the go-to at Chili's? Like, what's what's the Ben Goat's go-to item on the menu at Chili's? Oh, I've told you this before. The two for 25 is one of the best deals <laughs> you'll find around. Lovely three-course meal for two people. And then you can get cheap uh, drinks off of that. It's great. It's a great time. You're not spending a ton of cash. You're in, you're out. It's beautiful. <laughs> you know what? I, I think just Ben and his connection to Pam Beasley is all we need to take out of this one. Ben, I didn't know you were such a big Office fan, but you and I have that in common. Let's uh, let's start an Office podcast. Oh, it's already done. Okay, dang it. Anyway, hey, Ben, thanks for jumping on here. Really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we'll, we'll chat with you probably tomorrow or something. Yeah, it sounds good. Uh, take care, guys. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Ben. That is Ben Goetz, Las Vegas Review Journal. Check his work out. He's fantastic. Uh, has great taste in um, in television shows. And Chapman seems to think he has bad taste in uh, in food, but I, I would disagree there. I'm, I'm just I, I, I've never been able to get on board with Chili's. I understand, you know, I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. Right. Yeah, it's it's it, fantastic. It was, it's it was so in good. Austin Powers. Mm-hmm. But I just I just it was also can't. in the office. Well, I, I, I wouldn't know that, but I just can't get on board with, with chilies. I, I don't know. Like, my my wife, actually, it's funny. She wants to go to Applebee's. She's like, I really want to try Applebee's. And Really? Yeah. Well, they don't have Applebee's in Japan, and yeah. we, we've she's never had it. So she's like, I was like, yeah, it's probably like mediocre to, to average food. She's like, well, that's okay. I just want to try it. So one day we're going to go to Applebee's for lunch. You'll have to really come back with a uh, with a report card on Applebee's <laughs> I, and tell I, me how it compares to Chili's. Seriously. I, I, I will say Applebee's is better than Chili's. I like Applebee's better than Chili's. Eating good in the neighborhood. Yeah, I think I think they're I think they're probably about equal. I think they're probably about the same. Uh, and like if that's what if that's what you're in the mood for, like I, I don't see there being any problem with that whatsoever. Just, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a snob. I think you're absolutely a snob. That seems like a great place to turn the page and look ahead to uh, what's coming up on the rest of the show. We're going to look at the Pacific Division. I want to know what teams are legit and what teams are not. I also want to find out why the Kraken are so bad. Uh, All that and so much more coming up as we go through uh, this, this Wednesday edition of the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. There are so many times I'm not sure what direction you're going with in your musical selections, Chapman, but I'm also along for the ride. I don't, I don't mind it that much, especially when it's the great Andrea Bocelli. So uh, back here on the VGK Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas, we take a look at the Pacific Division. And, you know, we oftentimes view Thanksgiving as an artificial waypoint to which teams will or will not make the playoffs. And right now, um, the Pacific Division, I, I would argue, is a bit different than how we had it drawn up in our heads going into the year. And I'm going to give you one through eight right now in the Pacific Division. First place all the way to last place. And then, Chapman, we're going to get into some of the interesting notes about this division and where they are a week out of Thanksgiving. So 
First place team right now in the Pacific Division, the Anaheim Ducks. 10, 4, and 3, 23 points on the year, a 6.76 points percentage. Anaheim in the first spot right now in the Pacific, trailing Anaheim, Edmonton. They're in second place, 11, 4, and 0. Calgary, third place, 8, 3, and 5. You got to love that five overtime losses. That is a Daryl Sutter team, if I've ever known one. The LA Kings in fourth place, 8, 5, and 2, 18 points. Vegas, 9, and 7. They're in fifth place. And then it's San Jose, Vancouver, and Seattle rounding things out. Seattle in last place, 4, 10, and 1. So immediately, as you just look at 1 through 8 right now in the Pacific, Chapman, what immediately jumps out to you as odd or not what you expected? Well, I I, I think I, it, it's pretty clear to me that it's a team sitting atop the division. Um I think when we went through our bottom five, I know I had them in my bottom five. I don't know if you and Darren had them both in your bottom five. But, uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, look, I, I, I think without having any context, I think people who maybe don't follow the Golden Knights would say, wow, I can't believe the Golden Knights are in fourth place with all that talent. And obviously you look fifth a lot, place, fifth place. You, yeah. you, you look a little bit a little bit closer at things and you, you obviously know why they're not in the the top half of the division. But uh, certainly what jumps out to me as someone who follows this division very closely is is the Anaheim Ducks, and they get their 1,000th win as a franchise last night. Ryan Getzoff collects his 1,000th point. Uh, Trevor Zegers, was it, with the winner last night for them? Um, Yeah. What what, what really fascinates me is their their young players are ahead of schedule. Like, Mm -hmm. you knew that they were building something with, with all that talent that they have there, Comtois, Zegris, uh, but they're 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 ahead of schedule. And what what's even more fascinating to me is Jonathan Gibson's missed some time, and Stolarz has had to play for them, and they still are a pretty formidable team. I've only watched them twice. Um, I watched them obviously when they were here at T-Mobile, and they they came back from that three goal deficit and forced the game into overtime. I watched them the night before when they were they they played Buffalo at the pond. And they they did the same exact thing. They they came from three goals down, tied it up, went into overtime where they ended up losing in overtime. But it's it's how they're winning games. And and it's the fact that you look at their roster and you're like, who are these guys? It, it, so it's, the, it's really a, a fascinating thing to, to to look at. The the interesting thing for me about Anaheim. And you you talk about the young talent that they have, and they certainly do. Trevor Zegras was kind of the guy coming into this year where, okay, he's going to absolutely skyrocket onto the scene and lead this Ducks team. And as good as Trevor Zegras is, that is how the Anaheim Ducks will go. What's most interesting about Zegras right now is that in the last two games, he has doubled his offensive output from the previous 13, right? Like, he had a stretch where he did not score. He was not impacting the game on the score sheet. And it's hard to score in this league. Like, it's not easy for a young kid to come in and just be a point-of-game player all the time. But Trevor Zegers has five points in his last two games. He's only got 10 points on the year. Like, this is a kid that went through a bit of a stretch, and even though that was happening where he wasn't scoring and producing... The Anaheim Ducks were still winning hockey games because Troy Terry 
just doesn't miss a game where he doesn't put a point on the board. Like yeah. He has been off to one of the great starts in, in Anaheim Ducks history for sure and NHL history because I, I don't think a lot of people expected it to be Troy Terry driving the bus for Anaheim. Yeah, 21 points through 16 games. He had a he had a goal-scoring streak as well. I don't I don't know if that's still going on or not, but I mean, he he's 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 having a phenomenal season. He's got 11 goals in 16 games and and then it's 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 all reliable. Ryan Getzlaff in 17 games, he's got 18 points, and of those 18 points, only one of them are a goal, which which is is like, wow. You you would have expected Getzlaff to maybe have contributed a little bit more putting the puck in the net, but he's contributing in other areas. And then of course, a guy a guy I know, Adam Henrique, he's having a pretty good season as well. And and then remember when everyone writ, writ wrote off Kevin Shattenkirk? Yeah, I mean he he's he's almost a point a game. For the Anaheim Ducks, and I understand we're, we're we're only 17 games into the season, but they're getting contributions from a lot of guys up and down that lineup, including guys who you wouldn't have expected and guys who a lot of people said, yeah, they're done. So, like, when you look at Anaheim, they're in first spot. L.A., they're in uh, fourth place right now. And San Jose, they're in sixth place. Like, of the California teams and where they're at in the standings right now, what team is kind of where they should be. Which team is the most legit from California, and which team uh, is, is kind of in a spot where you don't see it, whether it, it be San Jose, you think San Jose is better than sixth in the division, or Anaheim is is worse than, than first or, or second or third. Like, I look at this, I think Anaheim and L.A. are the two California teams that are going to be in and around the playoff hunt. I don't think Anaheim is a first-place team in this division. I, I just don't see it. I, I don't think that they're going to have the goods to hold up all year long. But I will say this. I think it, it's going to come down Anaheim and L.A. If there are four teams from the Pacific Division, it's going to be one of those two, either Anaheim or L.A., because I don't buy San Jose anymore. Yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not a big believer in San Jose. Never really was. Um, they got off to the hot start. But I think they're they're probably in that general vicinity of, of 6th, 7th. I, I, I I figured Anaheim would be in last place at this point in the season. So, um, but I, I, I figured that San Jose would would be not too far ahead of them. Uh, the team that, if, if I was to pick a team that would make the playoffs of the three California teams, I'm going to go with the one with, that we haven't mentioned, and that's the LA Kings. Uh, Kopitar obviously carrying them, but they're getting really good contributions from Alex Iafalo, who I mean, he's he's a really underrated player. Like he seems like he's he's always around the net for them. He seems like he's always scoring big goals. I like what Adrian Kempe is doing for them. And the addition of Philip Deneau, it I, I don't think it can be understated. And they're they're right there in that general playoff vicinity. And they've they've not had Andreas Athen and I can never say his name, Athanasiu, Victor Arvidsson, and Drew Doughty for a large portion of the season. And those yeah. are three guys who who I think they expected Arvidsson to, to be a key contributor, right? He was on that first line before he started missing games. Doughty had seven points through four games, which is is torrid pace. And I think if they can hover in that area when all those guys are fully healthy, obviously Doughty being the key, I don't see why that team can't make a run. They get they have good goaltending, they've got a solid defense, and They've got a lot of leadership and guys who who know what it takes to win. So I think they'll end up being the team that finishes 
the highest out of all the th- the three California teams. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I I'm kind of rooting for the Ducks. I think it's a great story. Yeah, I think Anaheim, LA. It, really any of the California teams, because of what they represented in the past, if those teams can break through and find themselves back in the playoffs, uh, I do think that that's important for not only the Pacific Division, but the NHL as well. But kind of beyond that, let's take a look at Seattle, because you know Darren asked me the question, what do you make of the Seattle crack? And I said, I want to see more home games from this club. And, and it turns out that this is how I would, this is how I would explain the Seattle Kraken to somebody. They are a team that infuriatingly and interestingly finds ways to lose hockey games based on what should be their strength. And that's goaltending. Like, the Seattle Kraken have been sunk this year by Vesna Trophy runner-up Philip Grubauer. Like, there, there's no other way to really kind of parse through it or look in a different direction. The Kraken, their big swing, their big swing going into their inaugural season was Phil Grubauer, right? Like, that is, that is the person, that is the player, that is the position that they hinged all of their aspirations this season on. Like, if we're going to be a good team, it's, been, it's going to be because we have a, a former Vesna Trophy runner-up, and he's going to carry us when we can't find the offense because we're not going to have it. And it just hasn't been the case. Grubauer is rocking a 3.18 goals against average and an 880 save percentage. An 880. They are sunk by bad goaltending, and that was supposed to be the backbone of this team. Well, and Dreger really hasn't been much better. I mean, obviously in much more limited action, but his save percentage is .833, and his goals against is 3.43. So they're they're not getting it anywhere on, yeah. uh, in, in in the goalie position. Uh, Joey Decord, obviously not a guy who who you would expect to have good numbers, and he doesn't either. But they they really went all in at the goaltender position because Dreger was a guy who who I think a lot of people expected to have a big season uh, at following what he did last year, and then Grubauer he was he was a rock in Colorado. So they they kind of invested heavily in that position, and they haven't had any payoff from it yet, which has got to be highly disappointing. Because when you look at their 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 roster, their 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 skaters are pretty good. I mean, Jordan Eberle's having a pretty solid season for them. I think Jaden Schwartz is a guy who who's a key contributor. You and me both like Alexander Wenberg. Jared McCann was a guy I think both of us wanted to see Vegas find yeah. a way to acquire. So. They're not terrible up up front, but let me let me ask you a question. What are they trying to accomplish this year? I, I have no idea. I, I, I really don't problem. I, I don't know that's if, the problem. Like when they drafted this team, I think a lot of people were kind of underwhelmed, like eh, they probably could have taken better players and, and maybe built a team that could compete the first year much like Vegas did. I figured when they went after when they got Grubauer, I was like, Oh well they'll 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 be in the playoff mix just Trying based just based on him. Yeah. I don't I, I I don't know. Like I, I, I still have no clue what exactly they're trying to accomplish. I mean, are they gonna try to just jettison guys at the deadline? Because they have a lot of guys who are either on expiring contracts or contracts that will expire next season. So are they just gonna start jettisoning guys for picks? I I, I I don't know because they invested so heavily in the goalie position 
I mean, it's not like they, they drafted Gruber or it's not like they got Grubauer on a one-year deal. I mean, he's locked up for a couple seasons and the same with Dreger. So I, I, I just don't know, Ryan. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure where I fall on the Seattle Kraken. Like, I, I would have to imagine that they're going to regress to the mean at some point, and Philip Grubauer is going to bounce back and, and become the goalie that we've we've known him to be over the last couple of years. And with a little bit higher save percentage, I, I do think that they have an ability to win some more hockey games. But I, I look at the Seattle Kraken, I think they're too far gone at this point to, to really think about being a bubble playoff team and that has to impact what what Ron Francis is going to do with the trade deadline like you have a very small window to maximize whatever assets you have as an expansion team and we saw the Golden Knights uh, make their decision to go in at the deadline in year number one and it resulted in a Stanley Cup final appearance how Ron Francis kind of plays this over the next couple of months is going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, real quick before we before we take a break, one guarantee to miss and one guarantee to make the playoffs from where we stand right now, Chris Chapman. Are we doing the entire, just the Pacific? Just the Pacific. All right, well, the Kraken are done. They're, they've got nine yeah. points through 15 games. Look, it, they, they've I'm got with a you. tremendous hill to climb. My guarantee... I'm going to say the Edmonton Oilers. I I think as long as as long as number one and number two stay healthy, I don't mm-hmm. see any reason why that team won't be in the playoffs. I mean, I don't even care. Yeah, my, who they, I don't care who their goalie is. They'll, they'll be in the playoffs. My guarantee to make the playoffs is Calgary. I'm going Ooh. in on Calgary because if there's one thing I know of Daryl Sutter, he's going to coach you into the playoffs. Like that's that's what you're going to get. They'll it, whether it be 20 overtime loss points, whatever it has to be for Daryl Sutter, he'll find a way. He'll get them in there. I, I think Calgary makes the playoffs, and that's going to be my bold guarantee in the Pacific as we sit right now, a week or so outside of Thanksgiving. But right now, it's your opportunity to win. We're going to give away a pair of tickets to the Edmonton Oiler game versus the Vegas Golden Knights. Not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday. A pair of tickets to T-Mobile Arena to see Vegas and Edmonton. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. Caller number 15, 702-876-1340. You are a winner. This is the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. Now back to Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Congratulations to Joe, the winner of two tickets to Vegas, Edmonton, and a couple of Saturdays. Fear not if you didn't win those tickets, as we will have another opportunity to win Golden Knights Edmonton tickets in our number two as well. On the other side of the break, we've got our rating for last night's game, Vegas falling short to Carolina. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Hockey Hall of Fame and who we'd like to see inducted next year. All that coming up next on the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas.